Uh, you guys that watch this show every day, and there are zillions of you, and you listen to my radio show after, you know that I rarely genuflect. I rarely bend a knee. I rarely become a Targaryen or whoever the hell bends a knee in Game of Thrones. But this man, Tony Barnard, I bend a knee to because as one of the few monstrous college football fans in the great state of Indiana, I remember watching this man back at CBS. And I will tell you this, when Mr. Barnhart spoke, I listened. And those of you that listen and pay attention to me know that don't happen very often. But when this man speaks about college football or damn near anything, I stopped and listened. Thank you, sir, for coming on. Much appreciated. Dan, it's always good to see you. I appreciate that. Uh, TonyBarnhart.com is where we're at, correct? Well, actually, we are under the our website. Uh, I'm in with uh, three other guys. We have a combined 151 years of newspaper reporting on, on the subject of college football. We are happy to report to be under the SI Sports Illustrated umbrella. So it's si.com slash college slash TMG. And that stands for the media guides, which is kind of what we try to do. We've got the whole country covered and we're having a lot of fun. And I bet, I, I, I bet. Hey, let's get into some college football. No surprise here. Alabama, number one, ninth time. Um, when you look at Alabama, and let's just say for the sake of argument, you look at Ohio State, is Alabama clearly better than number two? Or should this be, I don't know, for a better way to put it, should this be an interesting year for, let's say, the top five? I, I think, frankly, Ohio State with C.J. Stroud, and I think they are the team outside of the SEC that matches up with Alabama the best. I think they've, I think they've got a real shot uh, in this to be there when it's uh, be there when it's all over. So, and I, 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 to be honest with you, Dan, I think it's Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio state. And then pick, pick, make your choice on who number four is. I think those three teams sort of stand apart right now. I was talking to Urban Meyer the other day, and I was we were talking about Ohio State. He'd seen them, and the one thing he said is he said, Dan, I'm not sure this isn't the fastest Ohio State team that he's seen. He also said that Notre Dame's going to get their brains beat out because Notre Dame isn't very fast. How about that? Well, I'm wondering about Notre Dame. You know, all the, po- the, the, the coaches' poll is out, the AP poll is out, the football writers' poll is out, and they've all got Notre Dame at five. And I'm figuring out, what are these guys and ladies that they're – what are they seeing that I'm not seeing? I mean, Notre Dame is going to be good. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, when the, the speed, let's just say the speed with the opener between Ohio State and Notre Dame, the speed will be self-evident when we watch that game. Will Anderson, I'm going to go back to Alabama for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Anderson, Jr., my wife and I, first time, Tony, uh, Greg McElroy got us tickets, Alabama, Tennessee. I'd never been to an SEC game. It was one of the greatest sporting events of my life. Like my daughter, my wife, and I went, and we're like, holy cow, this is unbelievable. We're watching the game, and Bryce Young's doing Bryce Young things, right? And John Mechie's doing John Mechie thing. But Will Anderson Jr., Tony, he just popped out. And my wife's a former coach, great coach, Hall of Fame coach. And we're both like, who's that guy? You know what I mean? Does he have a shot to be a Heisman, at least invitee? How good is this guy? He absolutely does. He should have gone to New York last year. Dan, you can't block this guy. Well, one human being cannot block this guy. You've got to devote either to chip him or put a 
double team him. But he, any game he plays in, he is the best football player on the field. I love what Bryce Young has done. He deserved to win the Heisman Trophy. But I'm telling you, Will Anderson, he should have gone to New York last year. And he absolutely, if he stays healthy, should go to New York this year. Hey, Tony, I want to jump around a bit uh, because, well, if I were born in a later generation, they would have all, you know, I would have all these ADHDs and stuff that's just, you know, I'd have all these initials and I'd have to take all kind of meds. So I'm kind of, but your career, can you tell me two or three of the best moments you were ever at that you covered, covering SEC football? Well, there, there, there's a bunch. Uh, the, the, the best, most emotional moment that I can remember, not emotional for me, but emotional because of the day, was December 2nd, uh, 1989. And that's when Auburn hosted Alabama for the first time in history. They always played in Birmingham. Bear Bryant swore that Alabama would never, ever play at Jordan-Hare in Auburn. But on that day, because of the will of Pat Dye, it happened. And uh, Auburn does what they call the Tiger Walk, which they walk down from Sewell Hall, which is where the, a lot of guys have, have – have dining privileges and all that. And they, they walk down to the stadium surrounded by uh, thousands and thousands of fans and the state patrol, state true Alabama state trooper, let me slip in and sort of walk with them. And they were, Dan, they were grown men crying at the emotion of the day. And then when it was all over, Auburn won the game, knocked Alabama out of, out of a shot for the national championship. So that, that was one of the great days ever. Uh, the best football game I've ever seen. People ask me about it. It's the, the Georgia-Oklahoma game in the Rose Bowl, the 2017 season was a great game, but the best game was USC in Texas in the Rose Bowl when Vince Young won it at the end. More pros, just a great football game. But there, I've, been, I've been very lucky to be in this position. Uh, there's been a lot of great moments. Let, let, let me go to something. Um, you, I, I've always said this, right or wrong, you know, I'm going to go back to Cam Newton when they won the national championship. Mm-hmm. Tony, I played college basketball. I, I played at a big-time school, Indiana. You think when you're 18 to 22 or whatever you are that you can handle anything. But I'm watching Cam Newton as a, I don't know, what, 22 years old, every single game have cameras in his face asking him about his father for lack of a better way to put it, trying to sell him to a school, NCAA all around, media all around, and this dude just led his team, his Auburn Tigers, to an undefeated national championship. I got to tell you, Tony, I started thinking about could I handle, have handled that as an 18 to 22-year-old or as a 22-year-old. There's yeah. no way. And, and, it was and, one of the most remarkable. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, Dan, and it was relentless, okay, as, as is anything in the SEC. And as you win, the, the the pressure builds. It doesn't get better because you win. It doesn't get worse. It gets worse because you win. And week after week after week, it happens, uh, culminating in the, the, the incredible game between Alabama uh, and Auburn that year, where Alabama Auburn had to rally and come back and win the game. What, a, what an incredible game that was. But it was, you know, week after week. Cam Newton just sort of put his team on his back. He said, let's go, fellas. Let's go win another one. And they and they did. And national championship game uh, against Oregon. Oregon beat beat on him all night long. 
but he found a way to deliver at the end, took him on a long drive and kicked the winning field goal. You know, Tony, to me, the, the, as you said, man, I just can remember Cam Newton standing up in a throng of people with cameras and they're not asking him nice questions. They're not asking him about his past to whomever they want to dig in. Right. And, and the dude just handled it. I've always been a Cam Newton fan ever since then. I really have the way he handled all of that and the way he performed. Well, all that's true. And that was a really good Auburn team. A lot of good players uh, came on that team, but yeah, you, you listen, the game has changed, Dan, in, in this respect. It used to be in our generation that if you had a good quarterback, okay quarterback and a good defense could run the ball. That was good enough. That's not the case anymore. You have to be elite at the quarterback position. And uh, no question, Cam Newton was elite. Tony, um, as we move towards this year, and I want to stay in the SEC here, uh, Urban's a friend. He's been a friend since we were at Bowling Green together. I, I followed his career. Thus, I followed the Florida Gators and all the success that he had. Um, a lot of people feel like you go to Florida, you're going to win no matter what. That ne hasn't necessarily been the case. Mm -hmm. What has Florida done wrong, and what does Florida need to do right to get this thing going again? Well, Dan, people try to make football hard. They try to make it complicated. It's really not. It all comes back to the coach. Who do you hire as your coach? Uh, and can that guy put the program together? You know, I thought Dan Mullen was a slam dunk as the coach at Florida. Turns out he wasn't, okay? Uh, you know, other coaches, uh, Ron Zook, who I'm, who's a dear friend I've known for years, I thought he would, he would do well, and it didn't. It's all about getting the right coach who can recruit at a high level, and you should recruit at a high level at Florida. There's no excuses there. But to me, it comes down to coaching, and right now it's Billy Napier, and the Gators feel pretty good about this guy. But you know what? Let's have another conversation after they open with Utah. Uh, let's go to this. I don't know what you call it, I, a coalition, whatever. What ultimately is going to happen? Is there going to be a Big Ten coalition, and is there going to be an SEC coalition? What are we going to see here eventually? Well, I think what we're going to see, it's pretty clear that, that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be the big dogs on the block. The question is, what are the roles of these conferences going to fill? Will we still have five Power Five conferences? Will uh, the Big 12 uh, pluck any teams away from the Pac-12? How's that all going to shake out? I think we'll probably end up with five conferences, but it's clear that the SEC and the Big Ten are pulling the train. Uh, I think we will also end up with some sort of governing body. My hope is a governing body for football. Football should have its own governing body. College basketball should have its own governing body because they're, they're, they have unique situations that need to be addressed. But I think, I think we'll still end up with five. Particularly, I think we're going to get news here pretty soon that Notre Dame is going to stay an independent. And I think that's going to calm everybody down for a while. You know, in my state, everybody's talking about the integrity of Notre Dame. They could have gone for more money to the Big Ten. Look, word yesterday was they may get a 60 million, which sounds like a lot, but it, you know they could have gotten uh, 80 to maybe 100 million joining the mm -hmm. Big Ten. Is there validity to that statement that all my Catholic friends? I grew up an hour from there, went to a Catholic school. You know the nuns got mad at me when I went to Indiana and not Notre Dame. They called me in a room, said, "What are you doing?" You know, so all my Notre Dame people. <laughs> are like, hey, man, 
Look at us. We got integrity. We didn't go for the money. Is there validity to that statement? Well, the, the rank and file football fan doesn't understand. You, you've lived in the state. You understand how big a deal the independent, independent status for Notre Dame is. Uh, it's part of their identity. And I think they don't, you know, if the, if the Big Ten was going to offer them $80, 90000000 million, they said, okay, we'd like to have that extra $10, 20000000 million. But can we, is, is this number that we're going to generate after renegotiating our deal with NBC, is that going to be enough for us to live on and do what we want to do? I think the answer is going to be yes. Uh, I don't, I don't, I never judge other people's integrity. That's not, uh, as, that's not in my lane. I just know how important it is for the Notre Dame people to remain as an independent. The question was, will the finances allow you to stay as an independent? And I think they've decided there's a, there's a sweet spot in there between what uh, NB, what what NBC could offer or what what the uh, the big the Big Ten could offer and the money they would need to stay as an independent. I think they'll find that sweet spot. Tony, us Catholics up in Northwest Indiana, we're judging everything, and then we go to confession on Friday, and then we start the whole thing over again. Tony, so I appreciate you you being a Southern gentleman. I mean, us Catholics, we. We're judging everything, baby. That's what we do. <laughs> and then confession <laughs> and then confession covers us. Um, <clears throat> I want to get into a couple of things. If you were going to say, okay, uh, I got a sleeper team coming out of the SEC or I got a sleeper team coming out of the Big Ten, who would be your SEC team that maybe somebody – I'm not saying they're going to beat Alabama, but I'm saying they're going to have a heck of a year. Yeah, it, it's it, it's tough because frankly, when you take the SEC, you got to take Georgia and Alabama, and you got to put them over here by themselves. Okay, then you probably take uh, Vanderbilt and Missouri, and you put them over here. And the ten teams you've got left there in the SEC, any one of the ten could be any other one of the ten. That's how close it is. Maybe Tennessee uh, with Hendon Hooker. Here's a guy that threw 31 touchdown passes and th- only three interceptions last year. If they get better on defense, maybe that's a team. I'm not sold on Texas A&M yet. I could be sold on Texas A&M. I'm just not there yet. Uh, from a sheer talent standpoint, that's probably where they are. And, and uh, over in the Big Ten, you got to help me out here, Dan. Michigan? Are you? I mean, I saw them play last year against Georgia. They've only lost great players. I don't. I'm not sure I'm buying Michigan. Uh, I'm buying Aiden O'Connell for the Heisman, at least to be invited, the quarterback from Purdue, because of what he did in his last five games. And they have a schedule that doesn't include Michigan, Ohio State, or Michigan State. They open with Penn State on September 1st. And O'Connell was 19-3 to against, you know, touchdowns and interceptions. Uh, I don't know that they're a power, but they got a great, not a good, they got a great setup with a schedule in the Big Ten. Tony, it's kind of amazing when you – you know, Penn State opening night, and then they're only, you know, they got to go to Wisconsin. And that's, I mean, other than that, it's filled with the Indianas, the Illinois, Minnesota's going to be good, you know. So Jeff Brom's crew has a chance, I think, to jump up and surprise. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll see if they do. Uh, I, I, you mentioned Michigan. Bobby Carpenter on, on his uh, Carp's Corner made an interesting point. He said the same thing you said. Look, they didn't look good against good teams. They got a quarterback battle going on. They lost really good players. But again, Tony, their schedule is set up where he thinks they yeah. can be undefeated only at Iowa. You know what I mean? 
So maybe you don't have to be great. Schedule sets up, you're in pretty good shape. That's a that's a big part of it. That's a absolutely a big part of it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out who else can break through because it's the same four or five teams everywhere. I mean, could, could Utah be a breakthrough team? I mean, I'm telling you, Kyle Whittingham's done an incredible job. They're going to Florida for the opener. They are favored right now to win in the swamp. And that should tell you something. Is, is Notre Dame fans, again, Catholics, my people, Northwest Indiana, we're kind of nuts. I, I watched Brian Kelly from the time he was at Grand Valley State. He was roommates with one of my best friends as graduate assistants. So I've been a fan. So I paid attention. Brian Kelly, in my world, is a great football coach that Notre Dame lost and LSU got. How quick does Brian Kelly get this thing going? And do you agree with me or do you disagree with me on Brian Kelly? I completely agree with you on Brian Kelly. I've known him since he was at Cincinnati. The guy's only won every place he's ever been. He's the all-time leading coach winner at, at the University of Notre Dame. The hit program hit rock bottom several years ago at four and eight. He built it back from the ground up, been to the playoffs twice. What is it, four, three or four, five straight, 10 win seasons? I mean, come on. And oh, by the way, his roster at LSU is probably going to be as good a roster he's ever had. And LSU's roster is down a little bit. But they here's the thing to remember about LSU, Dan. When they were going through their tough times, it had nothing to do with players. All right. It had nothing to do with play. LSU has always had players. They've always will. And I think I think his C talking about Brian Kelly, his CEO approach to the job will be exactly what LSU needs. Well, let me back up on that question. What what was the problem at LSU, if not players? Uh, I, it wasn't players. I think it was a coaching staff. And look, I like Ed Orgeron. Everybody likes Ed Orgeron. But for what they needed. When Joe Burrow walked out the door, they needed some things from a coaching standpoint to stabilize the program, and they didn't get it. They just flat didn't get it. And so I just think there's an opportunity. Listen, Ed Orgeron won a national championship there with a generational quarterback. Good for him. But they, if you're going to sustain it in this league, you've got, to, you've got to have a steady hand at the wheel year after year after year. And just look at Brian Kelly's resume. That's him. That's what he's done. And so I, I have confidence they're going to win. They're, they're not going to challenge Alabama this year, okay? But I think they will win sooner rather than later. That, you know, I'm glad to hear you say that because one of the things that – I have some friends that played for Brian Kelly, and they all said – well, friends, acquaintances, but they all said the same thing. Look, Brian Kelly, make you forget you just had a big win. And it's, that seems to be important to me. At LSU, like you're going to have big wins, but you got a big game the next week. So you better forget what you just did and get ready for the next one. And that's a Brian Kelly strength, according to guys that played for him. Well, and, and here's 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 the deal is that the spotlight in the SEC, particularly at the, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the LSUs, the Auburns, the Tennessee of the world is very, very hot. It's a hot spotlight, uh, shall we say. It just means more. Somebody coined a phrase like that. <laughs> guess what? Yeah. The spotlight ain't going to be too bright for Brian Kelly because he's been the coach at the University of Notre Dame, and it doesn't get much hotter than that. So none of this, none of this stuff of you know being in the SEC and the media attention and all that, may, it might affect another guy, but it's not going to affect Brian Kelly.
That's it. That's exactly right. And I know, you know, he gets off on the wrong foot, whatever, dancing, the, the accent. Hey, look, I don't give a rat's about that. He's going to recruit, he's going to coach, and he's going to be consistent, right? Right, right. And he says, just, just look at my track record. When he's recruiting, look at my track record. Look, look, look at what I've done. Look at what I did at Cincinnati. Look at what I did at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, how many 10-win seasons? We went to the playoffs twice and played in another national championship game. And I did it, you know, had, had, a, had a bunch of success. So I think that's the key. And, it, and, Dan, you know this. It's all about recruiting. You know, coaching is important, but it's about recruiting. And Brian Kelly and his staff have proven they can recruit. Hey, last thing before I let you go, Tony, and I, thanks, I thank you for taking so much time with us. One, were you surprised when the news came down about UCLA and USC? And two, uh, how does that impact the Big Ten? And do you see any others from the West Coast coming into the Big Ten? I wasn't surprised. I was shocked out of my mind. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you kidding me? L.A., the number two television market in the country, coming all the way to the Big Ten. I talked I talk to a guy last week who is in, as dialed in to the Big Ten as you can possibly be. And I asked him, I said, did that catch you by surprise? He said, absolutely. They kept it under wraps. Uh, now, what it does, the obvious, is that it brings, in, you know, the Big Ten has always had more eyeballs on television sets than anybody else. Everybody understands that uh, because of the markets that they serve. But to that, they are adding the number two market in America. And that can only, that can only help. So from a financial standpoint, it is huge. Uh, logistically, I think we're all trying to figure out what they're going to do and how that's going to work. And I'm sure they will have a very good plan, but, uh, it just takes the, the number one conference in terms of people watching games and only strengthens it. And that's going to be the, the future with them and the sec is going to be kind of fun to watch. Uh, last, last thing, uh, my friend Sean Salisbury tells me as an alum of USC, they have huge expectations this year. He's like, Dan, I don't know, man, but I'm thinking, you know, you got Caleb Williams, you got the wide receiver from Pittsburgh, you got the new dynamic young coach. I mean, what are the expectations? He thinks they could get to the playoffs. What are the expectations of USC? Oh, totally off, off the charts. Totally off the charts. The question is, can they can they win that division? Uh, with, with Caleb Williams and the receivers they've got. And, and it's certainly I, most people I've talked to sort of like, you know, they, 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 they kind of like Utah uh, to, to win that. So I, I think it's going to be – I think Notre Dame and USC, the expectations at both of those places this year, it's going to be interesting to watch. Tony, it's an honor to talk to you, man. I appreciate you taking a half hour with us. It was great stuff, really fun for me. Thank you. All right, Dan, it's a lot of fun. See you down the road. All right, Tony. That's Tony Barnhart. You can catch him under the Sports Illustrated umbrella. And go to TonyBarnhart.com as well. And I look, he's the best. He's great, man. He when he I'm telling you, there are not a lot of people when they speak, I stop and listen. There's a lot of people when they speak, I turn the damn channel. Those of you who don't know what this is, do you? This is turning the channel back in the day. You'd have to walk up and turn the knob. Look at this face. This face was the original Dockage channel changer. We called it the clicker. Hey, uh, Danny, go change the channel. Dad, I'm laying here with pop. Yeah. 
Yeah, so when I go like this, it's changing the channel, baby. That's right. Tony Barnharzer, Tony Barnhart, absolutely fantastic. We got a monster for you today. Appreciate everybody that is hanging out with us. Uh, Tiger to the rescue? Uh, why the Browns should go after Jimmy G? That's for you, Sean Black, El Presidente. Uh, are you going to vote the way these clowns in the NBA want you to vote? The NBA is promoting voting. Yay, Rod, go fight, win. Look, the Manti Teo deal is ridiculous to me. We're going to get into that. I'm going to tell you why the Jags are going to be much better, why the Texans are going to be much better, why the Colts, I don't know. You're going to have to figure it out, Colts, because these other two teams are coming just a little bit. And I got some wacky stuff, including, ladies and gentlemen, sex on a Ferris wheel. Let me say that again. I went to Cedar Point all the time when I lived in Bowling Green. We're having the sex on a Ferris wheel at Cedar Point? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And when we come back... We're going to get into the highlights or the headlines from yesterday. That was a great conversation with Tony Barnhart. Thanks to Ryan and Dylan for setting that up. Remember, Monday, I believe we're going to have Shane Beamer on the show, the head coach of South Carolina. You like football? I like football. You're going to get some football here. Love me some football. Notre Dame's going to get their brains beat out by Ohio State. All right. We shall return with headlines from the day, including Tiger Woods to the rescue. Be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. You ever see Yellowstone? They're always riding horses, and they make riding horses look kind of cool. They make riding horses look easy. I don't think riding horses is all that easy, so I'm not going to ever get really on a horse, but I am today because El Tigre, Tiger Woods, is to the rescue. Yeah, he is. Here comes El Tigre. Now, Wilmington, Delaware is going to be the spot, all right? Wilmington, Delaware is where it's all going down, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Wilmington, Delaware is the site of the next round of the PGA playoffs. And Tiger Woods has hopped on his private plane, and he has come up from the great state of Florida, where people are free, ladies and gentlemen. And Tiger Woods, along with Ricky Fowler, are coming up to talk to a bunch of players about the evil empire that is starting to form on the Live Tour. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't followed this, a lot of players are defecting. A lot of pretty good players. Uh, Major champions are are, are defecting from the PGA Tour to the high-money, guaranteed-rate Live Tour. I don't blame anybody for doing whatever it is that they think that they have to do. And the players are concerned. They're saying, hey, what are we going to do? So Tiger Woods is going to come in, and he's going to rally the troops. The interesting thing here is... The interesting thing is that Jay Monahan, who is the commissioner of the PGA Tour, hasn't been invited. He wasn't invited. A lot of players are unhappy with what's going on with the PGA Tour. But Wilmington, Delaware, listen to this. He is going to meet with a select number of players to, to discuss the future of the PGA Tour and how it might strengthen itself in its ongoing battle with the Live Tour. Well, let's be honest. 
money. There's no reason that a guy that grew up going to his golf course, whether that golf course was a Muni in Gary, Indiana, South Gleason, one of the all-time great golf courses, or a country club. Innsbruck Country Club used to be Gary Country Club, Maryville, Indiana. Either one, doesn't matter. But the dream is what? I got to make the PGA Tour. That's what I got to do. Nobody ever dreamed of making the Live Tour, so why are they on the Live Tour? They're on the Live Tour for cash, green. That's it, right? I mean, look, you see a $4 million guarantee. You see a purse that says $10 million to first place. Somebody's going to give you $100 million upfront money. It's like a quarterback in the NFL. You know, $230 million to a guy that hasn't won nothing. And Kyler Murray, $230 million to a guy facing 30, at least 30, allegations of sexual predatory behavior, at least according to to arbitrators and arbitrators and arbitrators. I mean, that's what you see in other sports. So what's happening in golf is they're saying to themselves, hey, look, how about a little something nice for us? And here it came. The Saudi back tour, Greg Norman as the front man. They came in, they swooped, and now Tiger's trying to figure it out. So let me help you, Tiger. Let me help you. Here's what you need to do with the PGA Tour. Tell me I'm wrong, you listeners. Tell me I'm wrong. Increase the purses. They already did, and some players are like, well, why now? Why, why didn't you do this before? Why didn't you do this only under a gun to your head by the live tour? Why did this happen then? That shouldn't happen then. It should have already happened. You should be, as a tour, willing to partner with us, and partner means money. It always means money. That's number one. Increase the purses. Okay, you did that. Pay for travel. You know, a PGA player, there is a travel agent basically set up at every tournament. You miss the cut, you lose out on your own money. You paid to get to the tournament. Certainly sponsors help. But you paid to get to the tournament. You paid for the Airbnb or hotel. You paid for your expenses. How do you make money on the PGA Tour? Make cuts. How do you make real money on the PGA Tour? Win events. How do you make money on the Live Tour? Sign your name. Now, one of the great, if not the greatest things about the PGA Tour is what I just said. They're the last of the Mohicans. They're the last of the gamblers. They're the last of the cowboys, whatever you want to say. They're the guys out there that are playing every day, every shot for their livelihood. Hell, Kyler Murray isn't. Hell, we had a guy here in Indiana, Jamal Tinsley, literally shot up downtown. Shootout downtown goes into the, uh, what the heck, the Conrad. He runs in, guys locked in his car, he gets shot. What the, what the Pacers do? They couldn't, they cut him, they didn't let him play, but he still made his 14 million sitting at home in Atlanta. What are we talking about here? So money talks, period. So you got to do that. Then you got to give some guarantees. Look, you got to pay for travel. You got to give some guarantees. You got to say, look, if I'm going to play in the John Deere Classic, I'm going to guarantee you $50,000 or whatever. It's all money, baby. I could do this meeting for you, Tiger. Uh, fellas, uh, give me some suggestions. More money. Where? Pay for our travel. Okay, what else? Some guarantees. Okay, what else? Expand the cut. More players over the weekend. That means more money. Okay, what else? Up the purses. Okay, what else? You see where I'm getting at here? 
It is not that difficult. It isn't. I'm sorry. It's not. More money, in some instances, means more problems. That's at least the Dockage family motto. More money, more problems. All right? Let me explain to you the world of business. More money, less problems on the PGA Tour. True story. True that, as they say. True that. More money, less problems when you're on the PGA Tour or you're in sports. I'm just saying. Tiger Woods to the rescue means one thing and one thing only. Tiger, tell him how to make more money. You're the biggest cash cow in the history of golf. You're the man that raised by yourself all TV rights, all purses. The Tiger factor is real. Spread it, baby. Let them know. Mo money, period. Uh, Sean Black and the rest of you, you guys and gals that love, don't like love. I mean love the Cleveland Browns. Let me explain something to you, okay? Let me explain this to you. You got to go after Jimmy G. Now, there are two schools of thought right here. The two schools of thought relative to Deshaun Watson are, number one, he's going to be suspended for the entire year with an indefinite suspension and a major fine as much as $10 million. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is the reason this decision has been delayed is because the arbitrator is in, he's paused, while the two sides negotiate something between a six-game suspension and a year-long suspension. So either way, based on what I just told you, what I've been hearing is this. Either way, the suspension is going to be more than six games. Think about it. If you're negotiating between six and a season, it's going to be more than six. There's 17 games. That means there's 11 games on the back end here. Compromise would obviously be five and a half, so five or six in addition. Or it's a year. Either way, I'm all in on Jimmy G heading over to the Browns. If I'm the Browns and I have made the god-awful decision to make Deshaun Watson the face of my program, the face of our operation. That's my decision. That's where I think we're headed. Then I got to protect myself. By bringing Deshaun Watson, they're bringing in a win now, we don't care about it mentality. That's what they're bringing in, period. That's it. That's what they're bringing in. They're doing nothing else but bringing that in, period. Period. That's what they want. That's who they are. So if you're going to be in win now, then be in win now. Doesn't it make sense? If you're in win now, then don't back on, don't back down from that. There's no reason to back down from that. Go get the best quarterback. Look, I'm speaking to you as a friend, Cleveland. I like Cleveland. Bowling Green, Ohio was a couple hours away. Loved it. Nope. I loved going to the Jake when it was called the Jake. My good friend Kevin Custer lives in Hudson. Loved going to visit him. In fact, there was a time when Kevin Custer couldn't get rid of me. Couldn't get rid of me. Hey, we lost a game. My wife, my kids, and I stayed at his house, and nobody was leaving. I didn't want to go home. We didn't want to go back to Bowling Green. So don't at me, people. I'm trying to get Jimmy G in here as quickly as you can. 
pay the man, and let's go. It's that simple. You're in win-now mode. By signing Deshaun Watson, you're not in win in 10 years. You didn't care about perception. You cared about winning, and I'm here to tell you, Jacoby Brissett will get you so far. Jacoby Brissett will throw that pass, that pass, and that pass. He ain't throwing that pass. He'll protect the football, and if that's good enough for you, then fine. But I don't think that's good enough for you. I think what you guys want is a whole lot of Super Bowl. You want a whole lot of deep playoff run. Well, Jimmy G, all he's done is won 70% of his games. Jimmy G, all he's done is take a team to the Super Bowl. Jimmy G, all he's done is take another team to the AFC Championship game where if his safety could catch a ball, they were going to the Super Bowl again. I don't know what to tell you, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what to say. Go get Jimmy G and forget about it. Seriously. Just straight forget about it. You got your guy. Get him on a one-year rental and then figure the whole thing out. Give him Josh Dobbs. Cares. The world is nuts. All you got to do is listen to Dockich and good things are going to happen. All right. The NBA. The NBA wants you to vote. Well, let me ask you a question. Who do you think the NBA wants you to vote for? Uh, you think if you walked into an NBA meeting and you said, hey, look, look, I really think Donald Trump's the guy. Look, uh, I, and even if you talked like, you know, a human being would talk, you know, I really think that when you look at the country right now and the fact that we've got a president with dementia who is a mess, the fact that every Democratic-run city is a train wreck, the fact that, well, as we sit here right now, most of us could make the argument that you guys with your Be Woke Vote shirts and your gotta get Donald Trump out of there, not so veiled messages, and your incredibly woke, I'll do anything for public perception and not to get anybody mad at me, Commissioner. How'd that work out for us? How's that going? going good? If you think it's going good, God bless you. Uh, And the NBA just cannot help itself. The NBA, because you have the worst commissioner in sports, the wokest commissioner in sports, the most acquiescing commissioner in sports, can't get out of its own way. Just can't. So, They fooled you. They didn't fool me because I talked about it at the time. All these guys saying, get out and vote. I wish some smart, and there are a lot of smart NBA players, would say, "Uh, fellas, absolutely. I think you should get out and you should vote conservative across the board because look at what's happening with our Libby friends. Look at what is happening in our cities. You know, if people really, really, wanted to make a difference in a city like Chicago, instead of worrying about what Donald Trump or Joe Biden's doing, they are NBA heroes, many of whom are from Chicago, would get into the city and demand that Lori Lightfoot actually do something. You can wear your little T-shirts, you can be Malcolm Brogdon and have your megaphone, and that's great. 
and you can tell everybody, you don't need to show an ID to vote, although you do need to show an ID to buy beer. You do need to show an ID to cash a check. You do need to show an ID to buy cigarettes. But hey, voting, we don't care. Why? Because, well, we just don't. Of course we know why. People that don't want to show an ID vote Democratic. They always have. They always will. And they've always been, frankly, uh, marginalized. It's time to stop being marginalized. It's time to stop worrying about left, right, right, left. It's time to start actually impacting things. And wearing your little mask and wearing your Be Woke vote shirt is great. But an NBA player or 10 from Chicago should start demanding that Lori Lightfoot and the incredibly incompetent folks that run that city do something about gun violence. That's what they should do. Instead of trying to get their same candidates that, well, Frankly, they don't know a damn thing about. They just know that they are Libbies and their candidates are Libbies. That's all this is. Let's be honest. Let's not lie. If you're going to listen to NBA players, good for you. God bless you. You did once. A lot of people did once. How'd that work out? Gas prices through the roof. Inflation absolutely nuts. Borders unsecured. Did you see that over 400,000 people came into this country illegally? Did you see that uh, the clown mayor of New York City at all is putting up illegal immigrants in luxury hotels? People here illegally. There's no illegals. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. My family came over on the boat, as we called it. They got to Ellis Island. They came in legally. There is illegals in this country. I got a neighbor that has all those signs, right? Everybody matters. There are no illegals. No, there are. And frankly, the cities that now have to deal, the sanctuary cities, the big mouth Democrat mayors that have to deal now with these illegal immigrants aren't too happy about it. New York City is putting illegal immigrants into luxury apartments. But hey, NBA players tell you to vote. Really? Okay. And the reason is they're not going to have games on election day. Is there anything better than that? Is there anything better than whatever that young lady's name is from the NBA crying on the set? Is there anything better than all this? Honest to God, there's nothing better. So the NBA, the wokest of the people, if the NBA players influence your vote, you're a damn fool. And it's been proven. Or you're so naive and blind that you just can't get out of your own way. Or you're such a star blanker that, oh my God, LeBron says I should vote for so and Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. How's that worked out? Just asking. How's that worked out? How's your grocery bill? Grocery bill good? How's the gas prices? How's your home heating, air conditioning, cool? How's that going? Yeah. Yeah, but hey, we got a president that, I don't know, sniffs little girls. That's amazing. We're going to listen to the NBA. I'll tell you one person I ain't listening to is the NBA or one group of people. I ain't listening to nobody. Uh, Manti Teo. If you don't know this story, Manti Teo was an All-American. Manti Teo was a great player coming out of Hawaii, went to Notre Dame, and by all accounts, a wonderful guy. Still a wonderful guy. There's a documentary about Manti Teo holding on to a big old catfish. Manti Teo got catfish. Now, catfishing was all the rage, I don't know, 10 years ago. In fact, one of my wife's players got catfished by their own trainer. 
Like, you young folks, I, I don't get you. I'll never get you, and I don't want to get you. I turned 60 today. I don't want to get people that catfish people. Catfishing is basically like acting like you're in love with somebody, being a fake person. Next thing you know, uh, you're in love, you show up, they're not there, all this crap. I don't know. I don't even know what it means. But it basically means you're in a fake relationship. Uh, and so here's what happens. So Manti Teo, linebacker at Notre Dame, loses his – it's a whole sad story. But Manti Teo decides and finds this person named Lene Kuka, K-E-K-U-A. All right? Fine. So Manti Teo uh, falls in love with this person. And she's fake. It's actually a person, but it's a person, I think, and, and, and I, I, the girlfriend who didn't exist, all right? It was, on, let me just go through this. Online deception. The media killed him. This woman named Naya Tuiasasopo said, I created this whole fictional character, Lene. I did not care who I was hurting. So she's a pos. It's amazing. And in this, apparently, the girl that didn't exist, um, apparently, this woman gets too much airtime. Apparently, this woman, I think it's her trans journey, uh, is such a horrible human being. And you could tell right from that quote right there, I didn't care who I was hurting. She created this fictional character. She made this man or got this man to fall in love with her. Now, he was portrayed as an idiot. He was portrayed as a fool. He was portrayed and made fun of because that's what we do. He's a great dude. He came out and said, look, I'll take it all. Give it to me. I got catfish. What do you want me to do? Make fun of me. Talk to whatever you want to do. That's fine. But if I help one person, then I'm in business. And he's right. So now, of course, we all owe Manti Teo an apology. Yeah, okay. All right. Manti Teo has come out and become a great guy. He's always been a great guy. He just got, he, hey, look, some woman that he did not know got him. Some horrible human being, some scum of the earth human being, did something that only the worst human beings, uh, nonviolent crime division, would do, and that's make up something that she knew would hurt this person. Why'd she do it? It's part of her journey, is what I read. Doesn't mean I'm right, it's just what I read. The world we live in is so, so ridiculous. This is actually a Netflix story. This is actually a documentary. This is actually something that people, enough people, are going to be interested in. And I gotta tell you, I'm sitting here talking about it. Yeah, I'm talking about it. It's been 10 years. I, look, it had a great effect on Manti Teo. It had a great effect on a lot of people. I mean, catfishing became a TV show for crying out loud. That's how weird we are. That's how, that is why you can make the argument that the United States is the greatest country ever developed and ever will be developed because this is the kind of crap that we worry about. This is the kind of crap that we are free to do. We are free, as Ms. Tuiasa Sopo said, we are free to act in the most egregious ways, get away with it, and somehow, someway, become a star, have a Netflix documentary on it. It's unbelievable. Yeah, 
Naya Tuiasa Soap with a fake girlfriend is actually a transgender woman now. And she becomes some type of hero. And of course, you're not allowed to say the things that I just said because that's transphobic. It ain't transphobic. It is dumb, you know what, person phobic. It is horrendous person phobic. Whether you're trans, male, female, I don't care what you are. Heterosexual, homosexual, you do that, you are among the worst people, nonviolent crime division, that we have out there. But this is why we're such a great country. This is why we're so free. We can do stupid things like this. This is what we worry about. You think they're worried about that in war-torn countries? You think they're worried about that where bombs are uh, going off? You think they're worried about that in Afghanistan? No. We're so daggone free that we can worry about this crap. Make a documentary. Get on our little Twitter. Talk about it. Make it a big deal. It's mind-boggling what a great country this is. It's mind-boggling how free we are. But people don't see it. People want to complain about everything. We're free to complain about men becoming women, women becoming men, people catfishing, the Lion King, the Tiger King, whatever the heck king that was. We're free to worry about all these innocuous, ridiculous things without without concern. Are you homosexual or heterosexual? I don't care. I love you both. But this is the stuff we go nuts over. We're not worried about bombs going off. What a great country we live in when this is the crap that we worry about. Catfishing. Man from 10 years ago. Man. What a world. I don't know about you, but I was told by our president that you're not allowed, you're not going to get COVID if you get this vaccine. I was told that by our president. I was told that by the CEO of Moderna. Guess what? Drew Locke, Drew Locke, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, got COVID. Seems like everybody getting COVID. Seems like the world's getting COVID again. Seems like, I don't know. Everybody and their mother wants to go get COVID. We're getting COVID. All right. We're getting COVID. And, you know, away we go. But I was told we weren't getting COVID. You tell me. I don't know the answer. Are we getting COVID or aren't we getting COVID? Of course we're getting COVID. So Drew Locke's got COVID. He's got to sit out a few days. And away we go. All right. But I thought we weren't getting COVID anymore. Let me look here. Yeah, it says right here, Drew Locke positive for COVID. That sets everybody back. Because Drew Locke, actually, the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks, there have been rave reviews about Drew Locke. There have been rave reviews in camp about Drew Locke. So reason I bring this up is twofold. I keep being told that, no, my God, nobody gets COVID. Well, he got COVID. Then I heard Drew Locke's great. Now he's got to miss five days. Look, Drew Locke isn't Tom Brady. I'm not sure he can afford to miss five days, but hey, he's going to miss five or six days. Do that whole deal. Get yourself a couple of uh, negative tests and away you go. I don't get it, man. I just got a thing here. Let's see. Uh, Somebody's down. Everything's down. Moderna down. Hell, Moderna ought to be way up. They keep cranking out shots. They keep telling you to get your fifth booster, sixth booster, seventh booster. Jeez. 
Anyway, Drew Locke's got COVID. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Jill Biden's got COVID. You know, a lot of people reacted yesterday to me saying that I was M, America's greatest male. What's the right word? Not my greatest male. Fashion expert relative to women. And then my wife came on the show yesterday and confirmed that. That's right, people. But Jill Biden, she got COVID. Joe Biden gets COVID every other day. I don't know. The world is nuts, man. The world is insane. You can't get COVID if you get this vaccine. Four boosters later, you get COVID. Hope you don't get COVID. COVID is real. I'm not a COVID denier, not even a little bit. I've had a couple friends die seemingly from COVID. But I stand by what I said weeks ago. Smartest two doctors that I know told their families, yeah, be careful with that vaccine, man. Be careful with that vaccine. Particularly daughters that want to get pregnant. A lot of people lost their mind. My beloved friends at the Indy Star wanted the name of the doctor. I wasn't giving these idiots the name of the doctor. I gave it on my show. They could go research it. But the truth of the matter is, what, who, who, who needs a doctor being harassed by some idiot sports writer? Nobody. Uh, this guy says, I still don't believe Manti Teo. What's not to believe? Dude got catfished. Happens. Get over it. Seriously. Uh, it's a what the hell Wednesday. I got sex on Ferris wheels. I got idiot baseball players. I got a racist teachers union. I got a lot of stuff here. What else do I got? This is a, you, you got to stay right here because you're going to see a video of a baseball game that frankly, you're not going to believe. Rarely do I say this, but you're absolutely not going to believe this video when I show this to you coming up here in about three minutes. Guys are paid a lot of money not to do what happened in a baseball game that I'm going to show you. Honest to God. And then of course, Climate change, always in the news. Where's that little 12-year-old girl screaming? Ah! By the way, what's her name? Greta something? Thornburg? How does anybody in their right mind listen to a 12-year-old? About climate change. What a country, man. Free to do all this crap. It's great. All right, we'll be right back. What the hell Wednesday next? Don't stay. Don't leave. Stay right here. Make sure you tweet tweet our show. Get the masses watching. We've been over 50 grand the last four days. Let's go. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Hey, welcome back. You kidding me? Hey. Oops, other way. Other way. Other way, hang on, caller. Hang on. 60 freaking years old. Let me tell you something. I don't feel 60 years old. I feel 22, and Bobby Carpenter sent me a text wishing me happy birthday. I said, Bobby, I feel like I'm 25. He goes, yeah, run two suicides and see how that goes. I think he's right. I like that little hat. I do. I think I look cute. Thanks for that, fellas. Yeah, 
Yeah, 60 years old. I'll tell you what I'm doing today. I'm going out to Colts camp. Then I'm going, listen to this, boys. That's right. I'm getting a facial. I like laying back there. They give me the facial. Hey, man, you combine a pedicure with that, and it's on. Then I'm going to go whip my beautiful wife's, you know what, in pickleball, and then we're going to dinner. Yeah. Colts camp first, the media there, some guys will get mad, yell at me, Duncan, you're mean, whatever, whatever. All right, it is Wednesday. That means we go with what the hell Wednesday. All right, first things first, ladies and gentlemen, a couple was arrested at Cedar Point, which is America's greatest amusement park, for having the sex on a Ferris wheel. Now, I got to tell you, I'm not mad about it. Uh, Cops arrested them, which I'm not happy with. I don't know that they needed to be arrested. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know that that's something that needs to happen. I mean, what the heck? The lady said, no, she dropped her camera and, you know, was leaning forward. And the guy said, well, she may have shook it a little bit. But the cops weren't buying it, ladies and gentlemen. The cops are saying, hang on here. We think there's the sex going on. We don't like it. We can't have it in our amusement park. Look, here's the deal. I went to Cedar Point a lot. Bowling Green is like an hour from, an hour and a half. From Sandusky, Ohio, which, oh, by the way, is where Cedar Point is. All right? So I know the deal. I understand the deal. But the truth of the matter is, number one, I'm scared of heights. Number two, I don't think having the sex on a Ferris wheel is a great idea. Here's the deal. According to Sandusky police, David Davis and Heather Johnston decided on the ride would be the perfect time to have the sex. The big problem, there was a group of female juveniles who were in a cart below and saw the whole disturbing act. Now, Johnston, the lady, denied the sex claim, said she was wearing shorts under a dress and that she bent over to pick up a pack of cigs. I thought it was a phone that had fallen out of her shorts. She bent over and Davis helped her. Witnesses told a totally different story. A juvenile said she saw the woman on her hands and knees and saw the man behind her. They also saw the package. Of course, Heather was just picking up cigs. The the women, the juvenile, said they saw the entire thing, both packages. They could clearly see the man doing the act. When pressed by police officers, the guy said, okay, Heather might have shaked her moneymaker a little bit, but that was it. When pressed again, Mr. Romantic fully admitted to what happened. They were hauled off to jail on public indecency. It's a great view out on Lake Erie. It's stunning and it's romantic on a Saturday or Sunday night. You just can't start doing this, though, in the middle of a Ferris wheel. You're 32 years old. As the great Joe Kinsey says in this article, get your head in the game, Double D. Not me. Not me. David Davis. I got to tell you, 
I've never even thought about that because I am scared to death of heights. But hey, what a great country. This is what we do. We should do a segment called What a Great Country. What the hell Wednesday should be called What a Great Country that we get to do this crazy stuff and people don't even flinch. Hell, Joe Biden said he has cancer and nobody even flinched. Ah, president's nuts. Eh, it's just Joe Biden. He's out of his mind. Eh, this couple just had sex. Personally, I don't think they should have been arrested. I don't think what they did was right. But if I were a cop, I would take him down to the station, act like I'm arresting him and letting him go. Just me. Um, is there anybody surprised by this? The stupidity of athletes never, never ceases to amaze me. Rodolfo Castro, he of the absolute most ridiculous worst team, arguably an organization not named the Sacramento Kings or not named the Jacksonville Jags, is an infielder. Rodolfo Castro is probably a name you don't know in baseball. Uh, the league handed old Rodolfo a one-game suspension after playing with having a cell phone in his back pocket. Adolfo's in his second year. There was once a great player named Adolfo Phillips, but he ran into the center field wall at Wrigley and was never the same, but I digress. So this clown runs in, slides head first, back left pocket, here comes the phone. The phone, Adolfo, he didn't know he had it or he didn't know it flew out. This idiot has to carry his phone onto the field. And I am using the word idiot a lot more lately because, frankly, I'm tired. Frankly, I'm fed up. The level of stupid here, and we're all afraid of certain people to say they're idiot. This guy's an idiot. The manager, Derek Shelton, was not pleased with Castro. Castro was called up from the minors for that game. This was just a kid who made a mistake. It's just one of those things we move forward from and tell them you can't do that. The player made a mistake. He felt horrible about the situation and never wanted to be the center of attention. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so, of course, because you're a horse bleep organization, you make excuses for Adolfo. So instead of saying, you know, this guy's an idiot, we're sending him back to the minors, which is what you should do. You know, they make excuse. Well, we'll move forward. No. Here's what Adolfo had to say. In all reality, I just remember getting dressed, putting my pants on, getting something to eat, using the restroom. Never did it ever cross my mind. I still had a cell phone on me. I went out there, put my sliding pad in my pocket, never felt my phone, and went out there, and what happened happened. To be honest with you, I don't think there's any professional ball player that would uh, that would ever even go out there with intentions of taking a cell phone. It's horrible. It happened to me. Obviously, it was unintentional. I didn't go this in any way, shape, or form. It's something I didn't even know I had on me. And to be completely honest with you, I feel horrible. He's being honest with us. So every other time he speaks, he's not being honest with you. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, good. Look. I don't give a damn whether you meant to or not. Are you a pro or aren't you? Saw a couple on a date the other day. It looked like a first date. I got an eye for this, people. I got an eye for first dates. 
The dude is on his phone and the girl looked totally bored. My wife and I and some friends were over because we're old. We go play trivia sometimes on Tuesday nights at a place called the District Tap. It's actually a combination of us getting out with uh, kids at our home and playing trivia. I almost asked the girl, hey, you want to sit down with us? Because the girl was basically the same age as my stepson and my stepdaughter and my son. And I'm like, hey, almost, because the dude was boring her to death. Get off your cell phone. Get off. Now. Stop. Now. As I'm on my cell phone. Uh, Let's go to this one. What's next? Are we reverting back to the 50s where we have separate uh, white, black restrooms, drinking fountains? Look at this from the clowns in Minnesota. Minnesota never ceases to amaze with their incredible stupidity. So here we are in Minnesota. Everybody's minding their own business. Nobody's got nothing to say. Everybody's just hanging around. And in Minnesota, they say this. Look, um, actually Minneapolis. If we're going to have layoffs, it doesn't matter your seniority. It doesn't matter the quality of a teacher. What matters is if you're white. Minneapolis Federation of Teachers Union and school district states that white teachers will be laid off before teachers of color, regardless of their seniority. The agreement which was reached to end a two-week teacher strike last spring says that starting this school year, if accessing a teacher who is a member of a population underrepresented among licensed teachers in the site, the district shall access the next least senior teacher who is not a member. What they're saying is if you're white, you're going to get laid off in Minneapolis. What is wrong with people? Furthermore, the district shall... Pro- Hello, Lee. Hello. You're a great wife. A wonderful mother. Happy birthday. Thank you. She brought me coffee. The district shall prioritize the recall of a teacher who is a member of a population unrepresented among licensed teachers in the district. That's where we're at now. All right. Back in the day, John Thompson said, look, I'm having all black team. Everybody's cool with it. I don't know, man. I hope we're not getting to a point where we're having all black or all white groups. I hope at some point we get to a point where we hire what's best for children. Why are children always the one? How many times do I say it on here? Why are children always the one that are hurt by adults? So I'm a kid, all right? I'm a kid, I'm in school. Why are we going to get rid of teachers that are good teachers simply because they're white or they're black? Why do we always hurt kids? Why don't we hire the best people available to teach our young people and grow our society? Black, white, hey, look. Man, the world of Minnesota. If I were a white teacher in Minnesota, I'd be out there. Hell, I'd go on strike. I'd go on strike and say, screw you. What a freaking world. I'm telling you. This is the stuff in our, in our country 
that we deal with. No other country deals with this. No, under, no other country has the freedom to deal with the kind of crap that we deal with. It's awesome. It's completely, totally awesome. We got players with phones in pockets. We got teachers union segregating white and black. What a world. What a world. All right, you got to see this video. Uh, let's just roll the whole video, the whole thing. This is a baseball game, obviously. Let's roll it, baby. Runner goes. Throw down is not in time. Ball two. In there. But looking for it. One, two. Kept right there by Stassi on that cutter. Looks like we're ready. And we got a, a good changeup early in the sequence. Count runs full. Oh, that's a walk. No, I, I thought it was a two and two count. No, the scoreboard had two and two. Yeah, you know. Yeah, scoreboard has two and two. I. Three ball walk. I like it. I ain't mad at it. A lot of people paid a lot of money for that. A lot of people in that picture. You got the coach, you got the umpire, you got the catcher, you got the pitcher. Then you got all the infielders. Generally, as an infielder, you know where, well, okay, two strikes. Uh, all right. Can we play that again? I love this. This is a kind of, look, everybody makes mistakes, but I got to tell you, I played baseball a long time, including in college, and I never saw this before. This is the big leagues. This is the bigs. I don't know if we can call this up. Play it whenever you guys are ready, whenever you can call it back up. See, I'm sitting here in my house. Play it again. Do the. There we go. Runner right. goes. That's ball one. Throw down is not in Strike one. One and one. In there. Looking Strike two. One, two. One and two. Kept right there by Stassi two and two. on that cutter. See, I missed it the first time. First time I saw it, then when I just saw it. Two and two. All right, looks like we're ready. Well, we got a, a good changeup early in the sequence. Count runs full. Oh. That's a walk. No, I, I thought it was a two and two count. No, the scoreboard had two and two. I did two. What are you doing? Get out of your nose. Yeah, scoreboard has two and two. Get out of your nose two, and I... go out there. A... What are you doing, Loopy? Get out. What are you talking about, catcher? A lot of money here. That first baseman. How much money is in the infield? How much money is in that dugout? How much money? Man. What the heck are we doing? I love it. What the hell Wednesday? A three-ball walk. Man, oh, man. 
right, this is very weird. Now, I'm all for Will Fuller. Like, Will Fuller played at Notre Dame. Will Fuller is a free agent. Will Fuller has speed, all right? Will Fuller is not with a team right now. Now, let me say that again. Will Fuller is not with a team right now. Guy placed a $1,500 bet on Will Fuller to lead the NFL in receiving yards. That's right. So the payout is $750,000. Now, that is gutsy. Week one of the preseason just happened. Week one of the NFL season starts September 11th, basically. All right? Will Fuller has never played a regular season, full regular season. He did sign a one-year deal last year with the Dolphins, but he got hurt. He was for five years with the Texans. Um, If you're looking to follow this guy's lead, Will Fuller to lead the NFL in touchdown catches, that odds, those odds right there, went from 500 to 1, which they are right there, down to 100 to 1. Will Fuller has better odds of leading the league in touchdowns than Chase Claypool, DeAndre Hopkins, and TJ Hawkinson. Will Fuller is not on a roster. What the hell? See, again, may I continue to say, what a great country we live in. Guys just got 1500 bucks just to throw around on an NFL player that isn't even on a roster to catch the most touchdowns. I want Will Fuller on the Colts. I want Will Fuller catching passes from Matt Ryan. I want Will Fuller. Give me Will Fuller. Colts, I'm going to start screaming about it today. I'm going to be at Colts camp. Chris Ballard told me that the amplifier, whatever the hell the speaker we have, he can hear me on the 50-yard line. That ain't right. I actually told our guys, turn it down. But I'm going to start screaming about Will Fuller because I want this guy to win his money. 100 to 1, no good. 500 to 1, not bad. $750,000? Hmm. Man. Hey, there's fantasy football, and then there's that. Climate change, 0.2 degree. Not saying it's not serious. It is serious. Climate change, 0.2 degrees. Making our kids fatter, according to CBS. CBS Sports is telling me that our kids are getting fatter. Look at the belly on that one. I think our kids are getting fatter personally because, well, kids are sitting on their fat asses. Kids are doing what actually I do, which is stare at a screen most days. Kids are like, wait a second. Uh, Let me play this video game. Let me eat these seven hot dogs. And let me get short of breath walking from here to turn the channel or, or plug in my Xbox. Nate Burleson read aloud a study on CBS News saying that a journal called Temperature 
argued that climate change, specifically warmer temperatures, is making our children more inactive and obese. CBS, according to uh, the great Bobby Barak, who is America's conscience, we've been trying to get Bobby on this week. We'll see if we can. Uh, blames the earth getting too hot for children being 30% less aerobically fit than their parents. CBS didn't even question it. So little Mikey weighs more than big Mike and has, in my opinion, nothing to do with climate change. We got all kind of stuff. We got Zoom. We got Skype. We got Halo. We got Netflix. We got screens, screens, and more screens. We got Xbox. We got E-Leagues where kids can sit on their fat you-know-whats, play video games all day, and be in some sort of league. The earth went up 0.02%. So you're telling me instead of being 91 it's 91.02%? You're telling me that's what made kids fat? That's what made every single kid that you see into the damn catcher on Sandlot? That's what you're telling me? You're telling me it had nothing to do with locking kids down? It had nothing to do with kids not playing outside? Go buy a baseball field. My family gets so tired of me when I, we drive by a baseball field in the summer and I go, man, how can kids not be playing at this baseball field? My son used to get so mad at me. We lived in a neighborhood that put in a pool in the neighborhood, a beautiful full court basketball court in the neighborhood. And guess what? No one was playing. Nobody was playing. I'm like, are you guys nuts? How is there not a game there starting at 10 o'clock in the morning and ending at 10 o'clock at night? It stays light until 10 o'clock. Climate changed my backside. Climate change. So, according to Bobby, CBS is asking its viewers to suspend common sense to buy into push for government invention against climate change. Why do any of you listen to any of these media idiots? Why does anybody pay attention to any of this? Why? Explain it to me. You got caught. Does anybody walk over to their neighbor's house, knock on the door, and say, hey, Jimmy, let's go play ball? Half of American children own a smartphone by the age of seven. But it's too hot outside, according to some guy that used to play football, Nate Burleson. America's nicest guy, by the way, according to people that know him. Data analysis clearly demonstrate detrimental impact of COVID-19 lockdown on children and adolescents' body weight. Well, I'll give you that. Joe Biden, man, I got to tell you. God bless Joe Biden. Joe Biden's got them all. CBS in pocket because Joe Biden wants climate change. These are the same idiots that told you if you get a shot, you'll never get COVID. These are the same idiots now telling you uh, that this particular group of children, based on climate change, is why they're getting fat. Nate Burleson, I like you. You seem like a nice guy. You're an easy listen. But my God, didn't you question anything? Well, Temperature Magazine, I mean, are you all that in pocket? Is everybody so in pocket with a man clearly suffering from dementia and all of his little minions that you're actually going to trot this out to an American people that had kids stuck inside for a year and a half to two years? 
You're going to trot that garbage out? You're going to trot that nonsense out uh, to a, a group of people that understand getting their kids fat, you know what, off of a couch is literally like digging up a boulder? Drive around your local park, see if anybody's playing ball. Drive around a field, see if anybody's playing right field out. You remember right field out? Heck, I drove by my Catholic school, St. Peter and Paul. There was etched into the brick with a rock, a strike zone that we put in there. And I'm talking about 40 years ago. We started putting this thing in and then people perfected it. They made the lines clear, but we etched the strike zone. Because there was a fence, you could play fast pitch. We called it fast pitch. Uh, I stood from me to you. I threw it as hard as I could. I had a bat, and I tried to hit it. Nobody's played there forever, but the thing is still there. The strike zone with a big X in the middle. Nobody's playing nothing. Zero. Esports, baby. We got an esports league going. Yeah, great. Ladies and gentlemen... Uh, tennis courts used to be packed. There was a time you couldn't get on a tennis court. Now, what do you want to do? Pickleball courts are packed because people my age are out doing stuff. Golf courses are packed with people my age walking. I never rode a cart as a kid. Now, I guarantee you when you play with your son, you're like, hey, Dad, we riding, right? No, Walk. Man, I don't get mad. Yeah, I do. But there are certain things that are just so idiotic that you just shake your head and go, how stupid do you think we are? And I know you all think we're stupid, but we ain't that stupid. 0.02%, that's the climate change. So that's making this modern era of kids fat, according to Nate Burleson. Hey, Nate, you put your name on it, bro. The level of stupid around here just gives me a headache. But again, I go back to something very simple. What a great country. What an absolutely fantastic country. Think about it. That's what we worry about here. That's what we do. We're free enough that former NFL players, former NFL players, get to be television news anchors and tell us stuff like that. God, what a great country. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you... Oh, wow, some guy's cussing at me. All right? I guess he's cussing at the Castro kid for having a phone in his pocket. NFL preview continues. What's first? Who's first? I like it. The Jaguars. The Jaguars aren't going to be as bad as everybody thinks, and I'm here to tell you why when we come back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. August 17th, the greatest day in the world. August 17th, 1962, all this started. And by the way, I remember the day I was born. I've told my parents that forever. Don't at me about it. I do. I'm sorry, but I do. All right, let's talk some NFL, shall we? Let's talk a little bit about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jaguars, look at that. Jacksonville Jaguars preview. We all know that the Jacksonville Jaguars are the worst organization in the NFL. We all know that the Jacksonville Jaguars do not like accountability. We all know that the Jacksonville Jaguars only beat the Colts 
every year in Jacksonville. Colts haven't won there since 2014. In fact, last year, the highlight of the Jacksonville Jaguars season was under interim coach Daryl Bevel. They beat the beloved Colts, keeping the beloved Colts out of the playoffs. Urban Meyer was the coach. Urban Meyer had Jacksonville pointed in a direction of success. But Urban Meyer was a meanie. Urban Meyer was too mean. Urban Meyer made fun of us. Urban Meyer was mean to us. Urban Meyer threatened us with his job. The kicker lied and said, Urban Meyer kicked me. Urban Meyer was a big meanie. Well, guess what? When you're the worst organization in the NFL, and you have been for the last 15 to 20 years, guess what? Somebody does need to come in and say, look, your facilities stink. We need new facilities. The people that have been here, whether it's the weight people, the nutrition people, the inside people need to go. All they're used to is losing. And make no mistake, the Jacksonville Jaguars are used to losing. That becomes a pandemic inside your own building. Every coach that I know, and I, except for Chris Collins, the current coach, I really haven't talked to Yeah, I have. Um, has always told me about Northwestern basketball. Look, the hardest thing is everybody here expects to lose. Everybody. The converse to that, I've talked about this forever. Brad Stevens, when he and I would discuss why Butler was able to go to two national championship games, the second one after they lost a lottery pick in Gordon Hayward, he said one of the reasons is because everybody in Hinkle Fieldhouse, the building where they are housed, everybody's moving in the same direction. I don't feel like the Jacksonville Jaguars have ever moved in the same direction. Now, Urban out, Bevel out, here comes Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson won a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia 76ers, a town that had never won a Super Bowl. Two years later, Doug Peterson's out. I don't know whether Doug Peterson's a good coach, a great coach, an NFL coach, a bad coach, another enabler. Who knows? But we are going to find out because I do think the Jacksonville Jaguars do have a little bit of talent. Last year in the draft, they picked up Trevor Lawrence, a, quote, generational talent. Elway, uh, Manning, not Brady because Brady wasn't that. Luck, that type of description was what? Trevor Lawrence had. He's the man. He's the Gazda. He's the guy. All right. 12 touchdowns, 17 interceptions later on a bad team. A lot of questions about Trevor Lawrence, but I personally have talked about Trevor Lawrence as having a breakout year, and I think he will. He's got some weapons. Christian Kirk came over. They overpaid, but who cares? Tell you the guy, Zay Jones. Remember this name, Zay Jones. Everything that I have paid attention to relative to the Jaguars says that Zay Jones, wide receiver, has emerged as one of, if not the go-to guy for Trevor Lawrence. You also have Marvin Jones. The Jaguars have enough, but the kicker is this. Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne his pick late in the first round was poo-pooed by all the, quote, draft experts. Look, make no mistake, Urban Meyer could have drafted, who know? I don't know, Ray Nitschke, and it would have been poo-pooed because Urban Meyer came in as a guy outside of the realm of the media. And when you do that in the NFL, everybody gets territorial. But Travis Etienne was a great pick, and we're going to find out this year how great a pick. Think Debo Samuels. Debo Samuels is a guy 
that is incredibly valuable. Travis Etienne is that guy. He can run it in the backfield. He can catch it in the slot. You can put him out wide. Every time he gets the football, he is a threat to break it, along with James Robinson. James Robinson is back. James Robinson, the kid out of Illinois State, dynamic, quick, fast, got hurt. Seven-on-seven drills, he was wearing the red jersey. Don't hit me, but at least he's back. So you're talking about two weapons right there in the backfield that are legitimate weapons. They had a horrendous offense last year, horrendous. It's the reason Daryl Bevel didn't get the job. The offense was bad. You saw it all year long. But I believe a healthy Robinson, I believe a maturing Trevor Lawrence, and I believe wideouts that include now Christian Kirk are going to change that to a certain degree. Are they going to be great? No. But they're going to be better, and the defense was not really ever that big a problem. And I'm going to go to one guy. You probably don't know this guy's name, Devon Hamilton. See, when you play great quarterbacks, you need pressure up the middle. Pressure up the middle is where guys like Matt Ryan, let's stay in division, guys like Matt Ryan want to step up in the pocket. Tannehill wants to step up in the pocket. Davis Mills wants to step up in the pocket. Tom Brady wants to step up in the pocket. Peyton Manning always wanted to step up in the pocket. Your great throwers want to step up. They don't necessarily want to go wide. So how do you do that? You get middle rush. How do you do that? Well, you better have a nose tackle that, if nothing else, can maintain his position or push the front back. Why? Well, there's nowhere for a quarterback to step up. Nowhere. So Devon Hamilton as a nose guard becomes really, really important, particularly in this division. Look, Matt Ryan, where's he going? Matt Ryan going left, Matt Ryan going right. Where's he going? He ain't going nowhere, Matt Ryan. There's nowhere he's going. Where's Tannehill going? Now, Tannehill's the one guy that can move it a little bit. Tannehill's the one guy that can get out of the pocket. But where's Davis Mills going? Davis Mills, no, he's not the guy that's going to go running around, throwing off one foot, not saying he can't do it, but if he's going to beat you, he's going to beat you from the pocket. So what do you need? You need a guy in the middle. And every single thing that I have read has said this Devon Hamilton has been sensational. Problem, right tackle. Look, going back to the offense, uh, Jawan Taylor and Walker Little, They're battling it out, which means neither one of them has established themselves, which means right tackle might be an issue. But let me go back to the defense. The defense that was pretty good last year adds the number one pick in the draft, Trayvon Walker. Now, I don't know what Trayvon Walker is going to be. You don't know what Trayvon Walker is going to be. Is he going to be a bust? Is he going to be Lawrence Taylor? Is he going to be Wilbur Marshall? I don't know. But I know this. Do yourself a favor. Read up on Trayvon Walker. And what you're going to read up on is a freak athlete that works really hard, that has a high motor. Now, let me ask you a question. When have those guys ever failed? Jadavian Clowney came out, and Jadavian Clowney was a freak athlete that made big plays, but you had to give him a little bit of a kick every day. Apparently, Trayvon Walker, you don't. So I look for Trayvon Walker to have a pretty daggone good year. I had a sack the other day when they had a big scrimmage. I don't know whether they're going to win. Let's go through the schedule. You know, one of the things that happens in scheduling, and I talked about this yesterday, it's amazing, really. Like, karma don't mess around in the NFL. Now, the Commanders, 
is the first game the Jaguars play. It's at D.C. Guess who the quarterback for the Commanders is, Indy people? I'm looking right at you. I'm sorry. The camera's here. That's right. Carson Wentz. When did it all go totally wrong, off the rails? Goodbye, Carson Wentz. Last year against the Jaguars. Who do they open up with? The Jaguars. So Carson Wentz gets to exercise a demon. Look, that game's a pick em. I mean, if you put him in a, in a bowl and you said, who would you rather have right now, right now, not in a year, right now, would you rather have Carson Wentz starting or would you rather have Trevor Lawrence starting? I mean, history says, I guess, Carson Wentz. Remember, Carson Wentz was 27-7 to last year. Touchdowns and interceptions, 12-17 to or 19, I can't remember which, is what Trevor Lawrence was. But I got a feeling, and I've talked about this, Trevor Lawrence is going to be a breakout player, maybe the comeback player of the year this year. So that's where you open. And then, ladies and gentlemen, guess what? The Jags get the Colts week two. Now, I don't know if three years ago matters. I don't think it does. I don't even know if last year matters to the Jaguars. It does to the Colts. But that's game two. So you look at a starting two games for a team that desperately needs a win, any win. Two very winnable games. There is no Chase Young. For the Washington Commanders, at least in week one. That's what Scott Abraham told us yesterday. The Colts, I don't think they look great. Wide receivers, eh. You better be able to defend Jonathan Taylor. You better be able to defend Naheem Hines and Michael Pittman. Those are the three main weapons. Now, maybe Paris Campbell is for the Colts. I don't know. We'll see. But there's nothing that guarantees that he is. So you got a chance to start. It gets sexy. Jaguars got to go out to the Chargers. They come back with the Eagles. And then the Texans come in. Let's say they lose to the Eagles and the Chargers. They got a chance here between playing these teams, between playing the Commanders, the Colts, who they've always beaten, and then the Texans at home, they've got a chance to win at minimum two games here as you start the season. Look, I don't know. The Giants come in. You tell me. I do think it's tough. They go to the Chiefs. Fine. The Raiders, I don't, you know, the, Jag- the Broncos come in. I think the Broncos will be better. They go to the Jets, the Jaguars do. They go to the Texans, the Jaguars do. Look, they go to the Lions. I'm saying this. I'm not saying that the Jaguars are, gonna, are a playoff team. I'm not. But when a team that is used to having its brains beat out early in the season has the opportunity to build around a young, uber-talented quarterback with a dynamic, hopefully healthy pair of running backs in James Robinson and Travis Etienne, and you've got some studs in key places, pass rusher, Trayvon Walker, middle, middle guard, nose guard. You've got Devon Hamilton. I don't know. Seems to me you got a chance. Seems to me, if I'm building this operation, man, oh man, am I doing two things. One, I'm trying to keep everybody healthy. And two, I'm getting my team ready for the commanders. A week one win, you kidding me in Jacksonville? That would be spectacular. So I'm not sleeping on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm not sleeping on them at all. Do I think they're going to be great? No. Do I think they're going to be much, much improved? I don't think there's any question about it. I just have a tendency to look at things legitimately. I have a tendency to look at things and go, all right, what are the pieces? And as you know, I am a massive believer in playmakers. If you got playmakers, I have interest. 
and I think they've got a few playmakers. All right, let me go to the over-under number here. I wasn't sure I was going to do this, but I am. The Jacksonville Jaguars haven't won squat. They're over-under. Let me see if you know. Six and a half. Let's see if we can find six wins. All right. Commanders, Colts, Chargers, at Chargers, and Eagles. Let's go low. Those four games, they win one. All right, next four games. Texans come in. Jaguars go to the Colts. Giants come in. And Broncos come in. Let's say they win two. There's your three. Next four. Raiders come in. They go to the Chiefs. Ravens come in. And they go to Lions. Let's say they win one. That's five. And then the last three, Jets at the Jets, at the Texans, Titans come in. I'm not ready to go seven wins. That's what you got to have to win. If that number was six, I might do it for tie protection. But it's not. It's seven. Not doing it. All right. Let's talk about the Houston Texans. Now, I've talked about this ad nauseum. I've talked about the fact that my good friend, the great Sean Salisbury, who has done everything, and I mean everything, from starring a movie, couple movies with Adam Sandler, to date Heather Locklear, to quarterback in the NFL, to be the number one recruit in the country, and quarterback the USC Trojans. All right. My friend is bullish on Davis Mills. Now, people say to me, Davis Mills was horrible last year. Maybe he was, but he wasn't over his last five games. People always forget, I don't care what you have done over the course of the season when you're building a team. You know what I care about? What have you done over the last five games? And Davis Mills, I'm not saying Davis Mills was great, but Davis Mills, according to my friend, Sean Salisbury, was the best quarterback among the rookie class last year. All right. Enough for me to say that he would have been the first quarterback picked in this year's draft. So, moving forward, what does that mean? Well, let's start with the coach. David Culley was behind the eight ball from the get-go. David Culley was viewed as a lifetime assistant coach that got elevated to head coach because he was a really nice guy and the Houston Texans were a mess. Well, it turned out to be true. David Culley was a sacrificial lamb. Deshaun Watson showed up to work out. Apparently, he worked out separate from the team. Culley had to navigate that. They got rid of J.J. Watt. They got rid of Hop. They got rid of, had all these guys, all these problems. Culley had to navigate that. They gave Culley the worst year ever. I mean, let's be honest. You're sitting there every day as a coach, and you look over, and your quarterback is a rookie that you drafted in the third round that you really didn't anticipate playing. But he's there. Why is he there? Because, well, frankly, your star quarterback, who you expected to play, has 30 allegations by 30 different women about predatory behavior. And he's still not suspended. You can't play him. He don't want to play. He's in a contract. He made all kind of reference to the owner being racist. He made all kind of reference to him not wanting to be on the team or in the city. And you got to deal with that. So they gave David Culley a head coaching job. And they basically said, good luck to you. 
for a year. David Culley made mistakes. All coaches make mistakes. David Culley is now out. Who comes in? The grandfatherly gray-bearded one of Lovey Smith. Now, look at Chicago. Lovey Smith was a great coach in Chicago, certainly by the standards of the folks that followed him. He did. Lovey Smith would win double-digit games, and folks in Chicago did what folks a lot of places do. Ah, oh, we can do better. We need a new coach. Yeah, how's that worked out for you? About four coaches, five coaches later, the Bears are still one of the worst franchises, worst teams in football. Lovey Smith moved on to Illinois. A little bit of energy early. Didn't get it done. Lovey Smith back in the NFL. Helped David Culley last year. Lovey Smith elevated to head coach. Why is that a big deal? Because Lovey Smith knows one thing very well, and that is NFL defensive football. He knows another thing very well, how to handle players. He does. He brought in Pep Hamilton. Look, Pep Hamilton was here in Indy. Pep Hamilton was Andrew Luck's quarterback, excuse me, quarterback, yes, coach slash. He was also Andrew Luck's offensive coordinator in Stanford. They brought him in here. Chuck Pagano didn't like him. Pep wasn't one of the fellas. He didn't stay after drinking. Chud wanted Rob Chudzinski in. So Chubb, or Pagano, treated Pep Hamilton awful. Pep got screwed here. I like Pep Hamilton. I think Pep Hamilton's a professional man. I think he's a professional play caller. I think he's innovative. I think Davis Mills and the Houston Texans are lucky to have. Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith, I do. Hey, look, are they going to be the greatest team ever? Hell no. But I'll tell you this, they got real pros running their team, and that's a good thing. They got a quarterback that, frankly, my friend Salisbury thinks is going to be just fine. They got a running back in Marlon Mack who gained over 1,000 yards coming off an injury. They drafted a kid, Damian Pierce, who everybody that has watched him in practice says three things about. One, he's got burst. Two, he's got vision. Three, he's got toughness. He's not afraid to run over you. They drafted a couple of rookies. Daryl Derrick Stingley Jr. is starting. Great. Here we go. I'm sad about John Mechie. John Mechie was one of my favorite players. And when they drafted him, I thought to myself, this is a great draft choice for them, not a great draft choice for my Colts because John Mechie, too damn good. But John Mechie has leukemia. John Mechie, my prayers are there, man. I've been thinking about John Mechie. I don't know him, never met him, but I like him. Let's talk about the Texans. Let's talk about their schedule. Same thing as the Jaguars. Are you kidding me? Colts come in there. Now, let's be honest. If you're ever going to be excited for a game, it's got to be the opener. You're in Houston. You're in football country. The Colts have owned you. T.Y. Hilton is not there. T.Y. Hilton has owned the Houston Texans. T.Y. Hilton has come in and said, this is my house. That's what T.Y. Hilton has done. So you got a chance to get off to a great start. And then the Texans go to the Broncos. I assume the Broncos are going to be better, but you know what? The Texans go to the Bears. Bears aren't any good. Chargers come in. Then they go to the Jags. Same thing. You got a real chance here. The Commanders go there. The Browns go there. The Chiefs go there. You play the Jags twice. 
You got to go to the Cowboys. You got to go to the Dolphins. You got to go to the Giants. I don't know what the over-under should be or could be or would be with the Texans, but I'm telling you this, same thing with the Jaguars, with a quarterback that may emerge, may get confident, don't sleep on them early. And unfortunately for our Indianapolis Colts, they got to play both of these teams. They got to play them early and that ain't going to be good. Or maybe it is. Maybe they're the same old Texans. I don't know. Maybe they're the same old Jags, but it doesn't feel like it. And again, I go to this. I always go to this. I go to a look. What do football people say? Football people think Lovey Smith is a terrific coach defensively. Offensively, he's turned it over to a good guy. Football people think that Davis Mills is an emerging quarterback. So I'm going to go with football people. I'm not saying they're going to win, you know, nine games. Uh, My guy Salisbury said somewhere in the range of six, somewhere in the range, six, seven. Uh, The over-under for them is four and a half. I'll tell you this. They beat the Colts to start the season. This could be a heck of a bet. I would take the over on that. I would not take the Jags, but I, uh, six and a half, I wouldn't do it. Seven's too many. Maybe five is too many here for Houston. But I ain't betting against it, that's for sure. I'm not taking the under. I would take the over on that. Again, I listen to football people. Davis Mills gets hurt, all bets are off. But when you tell me he'd be the number one player, my number one quarterback picked in this draft, that means something to me. All right. Let's end this show. Who's our woke dope today, fellas? Who do we got? Because I got to end this. I got to go to the bathroom. Who do we got today, boys? You notice I'm on my hunches. Who's our woke dope today, fellas? I love our woke dope. Our woke dope is glorious. I ain't afraid of our woke dope. What are we doing? Texas Independent School District pulls the Bible for schools, announces sweeping book removals after months-long reviewing process. Look, so everything's bad. The Bible's bad. Everything's bad. Like, see, I go the other way. Oh, boy, we got an ad in there for Samsung. I go the other way, and I'm sure I'm wrong. But I think we need more Bible. I think we need a couple things. I think we need more faith, and I think we need more fathers. And I don't give a damn if you don't think so. Hey, you're entitled to your opinion. I'm entitled to mine. I think one of the biggest problems in our nation today is our lack of faith. See, a lot of people say they go to church, and I do. I'm not the greatest at following up on what I'm supposed to be at church for. But I also think a lot of people are afraid. I think a lot of people are afraid to speak openly about what's happening to our children. I think a lot of people are afraid to speak openly about what's happening with fathers. Tony Dungy's basically quoted Obama about six weeks ago and got absolutely crushed for his stance that prisons are full of people from lower socioeconomic groups without fathers. Now, it's a statistical fact, but Tony Dungy got crushed for it. And if people are going to crush Tony Dungy, many people feel like, hell, I can't stand up and speak. But we need more faith in our schools. We need more teachers that aren't trying to tell your son or daughter what gender they are. We need more teachers that are going to say, look, I'm going to be strict with you because I care about you. 
We need more teachers that aren't afraid to share their faith. We need more teachers that aren't afraid to stand up and just teach. Doesn't that sound weird? What are you doing today? Well, I'm a teacher. Okay. Uh, what does that mean? Well, that means uh, I'm going to teach my kids reading, writing, arithmetic. If I'm in a Catholic school, I'm going to teach you about religion. I'm going to teach you how to be a good teammate in your playground games. I'm going to teach you how to be a good classmate to people that are in trouble. I'm going to teach you all this stuff. It's what I'm going to do. All right, fellas, I got to go. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. We'll be right back here tomorrow. I apologize, but I got to run. See you tomorrow.